Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a new season of Where To Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DK Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DK Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And it's a new season, Lucy. We're back! Hooray! We're back! We haven't been away for that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't really a break, was it? <laughs> it was about four or five weeks or so. I don't know what's happened with time. Yeah, so we're back to <laughs> we're back to recording and doing what we do best, which is doing this lovely podcast. But yeah, so welcome to season six. We have a lot of brilliant destinations lined up for you this season. But Lucy, I thought we'd first start with a little bit of news from ourselves. Yes, there will be some new voices, won't there, on the podcast in season six. Do, do not worry, listeners. We are not completely leaving you or anything (laughs) but we individually and by some coincidence both have had some news so my wife is pregnant with twins and Lucy I am pregnant with just one yes yes so confusingly same hospital similar time yeah we did not plan this no we didn't but it is eerie isn't it i don't think anyone at work or on our wonderful podcast could quite believe it could they have yeah, told them? <laughs> it was a bit strange something in the podcasting waters going That's on earlier it. this year so we will obviously be having a little bit of time out eventually towards the end of the year or i will be having a little bit of time out lucy will be having a bit of a longer time out a bit more time out (laughs) so you know we love this podcast we love hosting it we love um, meeting our various wonderful guests and we love speaking with you and we want to leave the podcast in the safest hands for any time that we're possibly going to be away so over the next couple of weeks you will hear a couple of different voices from the DKI Witness team we have lots of like they'll be familiar voices they've been on the podcast before but we'll be asking a few of our friends to kind of join in to co host and yeah so starting with Zoe next week who's going to be uh, doing our second episode which is on Japan so listen out for that but yeah it's really lovely to share this news with you um, it is very weird Lucy, it is really it? strange it's the first time well when when does anyone really make a public announcement it's a bit strange to make a public announcement but it's also very it's really lovely news it's very it's lovely exciting news. to share it whole new generation of podcasters coming maybe I don't know <laughs> <laughs> learn nothing from me anyway so on with the show and on with the season so as I say we've got some amazing destinations we are also heading back to some familiar destinations so we've been doing the podcast for three years now Lucy I know I know yeah I don't know how that's happened at all no and obviously three years is a long time anyway uh, for any city, any country, etc. But it's a very been a very long time with the events of the last couple of years, really, hasn't it? That's it. Life has really changed, hasn't it? And at the same time, hasn't changed at all. So it's quite an interesting idea to return to some of our favourite destinations. Maybe, though, with a new angle or a new voice, a new perspective, which Absolutely. is really important. So obviously, we were talking about Paris this week. We went uh, three years ago with Ellie Aldridge, who was a fantastic guest. And that was... Yeah. 
sort of height of COVID. But things would have changed since then. And we've got someone really exciting to talk to us about Paris this week. Absolutely. So I would highly recommend going back, listening to that episode of Ellie. I remember lots of things about delivering wine because it was around That's COVID. Right. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And big hi to Ellie as well. So we are coming back to Paris with a wonderful guide, Lindsay Tremuta. Yes. So Lindsay Tremuta is a culture and travel journalist and the author of The New Paris and The New Parisienne. She's the host of The New Paris podcast and also conducts tours of the city. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Welcome, Lindsay. It's a real honor to have you on the podcast. It really is. I'm very excited to be here. Who doesn't like talking about Paris? Exactly. Absolutely. What a way to kick off the season. So as usual, we're going to begin with learning a little bit more about our guest, Lindsay, followed by her all-important recommendations on where to go and insider knowledge of Paris. Then we'll hear about upcoming exciting events and ways to make a positive impact when you visit Paris. So, Lindsay, you've been living in Paris, I think, since 2006. Exactly. Can you tell us what brought you to the city and also what made you stay? Well, isn't that the sort of abiding question? What makes you stay in a city like Paris? I mean, I studied uh, French literature and linguistics. So I actually started when I was 12 and then pursued linguistic studies throughout, you know, my higher education. And I kind of always felt like I was born in the wrong place, but that's a very... Uh, unclear sentiment to try to explain to both, you know, educators in your family. So I didn't, I didn't know where that would lead me. But I knew that I had a sort of natural, I don't want to say natural gift, but definitely a certain ease with language. And I thought it's, it's kind of a shame to not pursue this in some way. And so that led me to studying abroad um, a couple of times, the first of which for an extended period of time was in the summer of 2006. And then I made the move kind of official at the end of that year uh, because I began a master's program and from there I just essentially never left Um, and so I stayed because it it quickly felt like home I think I was I was looking for a bit of what French and but more specifically Parisian culture really offers a person Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up um, living in a super urban environment I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia so definitely a little bit more residential than, you know, metropolis. And I think there was an element that was very exciting to me about having access to culture, uh, the arts, all this, all this food that I had never even heard of before, you know, and so there was there was a lot of wonder involved. Mm. And then I realized, you know, how am I going to make the French language part of my everyday life unless I'm living in a French speaking country. And so that kind of led me to to the realization that this is going to be the place where I need to try to build a career. And and that's kind of how it started. So after the master's, I never left. I, I didn't leave after my undergraduate degree. And then I pursued the master's and then have been here ever since. The story continues. And the story continues. <laughs> Speaking of which, you've authored two books. So you've authored uh, The New Paris and The New Parisienne, all about the trends and influential people that are making France's capital a more exciting place to explore. Can you tell us about some of the areas where Paris is sort of changing rapidly? Well, you know, I think what has helped me in my in my work, in my lens on Paris, is that when I first arrived, I was staying in the 13th arrondissement, which is, is certainly not the most um, tourist-heavy. Um, there are certain mm. landmarks that are interesting to see there, but it's, it's really more residential. It's a bit, um, you know, 
far from the center. Um, and then very quickly, I was in the 11th. So for the last 16 years, I've been in the 11th arrondissement, which I've seen completely change and explode. Mm. Um, but it mm. still retains a lot of its, you know, intergenerational population, inter interethnicity, and that's what I love about it. And so my leanings were always, you know, sort of focused on how the eastern part of the city, which was, you know, I think 16 years ago, but but certainly before that would have been considered sort of like the fringes of Paris. Um, mm. That's always the area that interested me. And so that's those are the areas that I think have developed even further in the time that I've been here and in and, and even just since I've written those two books. So mm. we're talking about the areas of the 19th and the 20th arrondissement from Belleville all the way up to Les Lilas, um, areas around Gambetta, um, certainly other parts of the 18th arrondissement as well. You know, obviously you have Montmartre, which is where the mm. Sacré-Cœur Basilica is, which is iconic, but further west in the 18th around, uh, we tend to think of... Um, we tend to speak about uh, uh, Paris by its metro stops. So the Jules Joffrin section of the 18th arrondissement, you know, also is 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 a very um, dynamic part of the of the arrondissement that has has radically changed. And same thing with the 17th arrondissement, which technically was a bit beyond my my initial purview. But you know, a neighborhood called Batignolles has really exploded in the last handful of years and has both this residential feel and also a lot of interesting restaurants, wine bars, um, and parks. So I would say, you know, the left bank, which, you know, is sort of the iconic tourist trodden um, part of the city, retains everything that is really wonderful and beautiful about it, but is not where the biggest change has happened. Yeah. Um, so the fringes are still where it's perhaps the most interesting. Yeah, that sounds like London as well, actually, just thinking... Oh, I'm, that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same, sort of the, the something sort of wonderfully classic about the centre. But as you say, it's those outer neighbourhoods that are undergoing so much change. What is that, Lindsay, is there something in particular that excites you about Paris, like right here, right now? Is there anything in particular that you're finding incredibly exciting about the city? Well, I think that the mayor has done a lot of work to make infrastructural changes that I think make uh, living here, in theory, they're supposed to be, it's supposed to make living here and visiting uh, easier. So, you know, part of that started during COVID with the development of a significant um, number of new bike routes. So I want to say that, uh, I mean, this could be an incorrect figure, but I think I remember reading something like 400 kilometers of new bike lanes all across the city. Oh, wow. And that's continuing even further, um, a project that's obviously been accelerated a bit because the Olympics are coming in a year. Yeah. Um, so infrastructurally, there's a lot that is evolving. So in addition to the bike lanes, a lot of pedestrianization, making certain streets that used to feel like, you know, bustling market streets, but have, of course, in, been used by cars as well, are now returning to sort of probably what they were meant for initially, which was to be just for pedestrians and bikes and things like that. Um, and, and, and greenification projects. And I think all of that is really important as we consider our, our, our climate crisis and, and what it means to visit uh, urban environments in this time and with erratic heat patterns. And the city has had to really think about how to make green spaces um, 
part of the plan for uh, for the heating, you know, for, for, for the city heating up and, and how you sort of navigate that. Um, but it also means it's more pleasant. I mean, London, as a, as a, as a counterpoint, you have these massive parks mm. that are just so lush and we actually don't have quite as many mm. um and and many of them are very manicured and they're not meant for sort of like you know laying out all day yeah. um yeah. if you need it if you need them to serve that purpose so i think i'm really i'm really excited about some of these urban development projects because i think they are good for both tourists and for for locals mm. um mm. and then i would say there's out of covid um you know, all over the world, there's been a shift, especially in the hospitality industry. A lot of people have left the industry, but that also means that the people who really want to build projects in that industry have also found their opportunities. So I feel like there's a lot of new types of restaurants opening. There are even more wine bars or cocktail bars with interesting focuses. I just think there's a little bit more of a of an exciting energy that, you know, I didn't feel in other cities in the U.S. when I went back after after COVID. Um, you know, I think there it felt like, oh, this has been a real tough period. And here, I think it was like, let's let's regroup, and the people who are going to keep creating for Paris are going to find new ways to do that. And I think that's really exciting. So it's not even just in food; it's also in retail, or it's in, mm. you know, the types of spaces that exist. Um, I think there's just a little bit more openness and fun yeah and that's really important because we just obviously want to live in a fun place yeah yeah Tasty. don't ask for much that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh... <laughs> seems like a basic but yeah we've, we've all lived yeah. through something pretty traumatic so I think it's good to remember that you know the city has the capacity the city and its people have the capacity for resilience and 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 rebuilding it's also very, very, yeah. just very reassuring to hear because I think we all slightly, you know, worship Paris. Uh, the thought of Paris falling, for want of a better word, would be awful. So thank you, Lindsay. That's pu- I'm so pleased to hear that Paris is, you know, not only surviving but thriving. I guess it feels it feels that way. I mean, there are obvious, obviously there are tensions, especially anytime, as I'm sure for for anyone living in big cities, they know that anytime you're pushing big infrastructural projects. Um, you know, there's a lot of griping, a lot of complaining, you know, as yep. as the, you know, the growing pains, th- that whole process of sort of getting adjusted to change. But I think we're headed in the direction we need. And, and it's good to see that, you know, despite critiques and some roadblocks that, you know, we're, we're sort of forging ahead. Cool. That's great to hear. Let's check out a couple of your key Paris recommendations. So to kick things off on your recommendations, Lindsay, we're going to ask you to give us a quick fire tour of Paris. We're going to name a few categories and you have to suggest just one thing to do. Are you ready? I am, but this is like an impossible task. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we get this feedback from guests a lot, but we... <laughs> it's okay. I do this we to like guests to see... too when I, when I interview people, but it's, it's hard when the tables are <laughs> yeah. turned on you. I'm oh sure. yeah, I could tell you. I would find it... Pretty impossible if I was asked about London, but never mind. Maybe one day we'll do that. Who knows? But yeah, uh, so just one thing, and there's always a chance to talk about a few more things afterwards. Uh, so, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, great. So we are going to kick off with your favorite view of the city. So I think the best and broadest view is from the top of the Sacré Cœur Basilica, but to get mm. there, you have to climb the 300 steps, and that's not exactly accessible for everyone. So as yep. sort of like a 
a moderate a, a modified version you can get different vantage points on the city still from the sacré cœur but you know at, at its base um so without actually going inside and having to go up um and and you can even access that with a funicular and it gives you sort of like a really wide view of the city gets all the landmarks you get the 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 rooftops i think it's quite it's quite beautiful I know you said one, but I am going to sneak in another. Um, oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay, okay. The Belleville Park or the Parc de Belleville, I think, is is another much smaller way to get a view that does include the Eiffel Tower and I think is a little bit more unique. Mm. But mm. certainly for broad, I would go straight to the Sacré-Cœur. Wonderful. Two great cool. answers. I think yeah. you might find this one tough, Lindsay. Your favorite thing to eat. Well, I, really, this is a question of what is my favorite thing to eat of the moment because it changes so often. Yep. Um, I think I, I might say the most consistent one are these marinated deviled eggs at the Marie Celeste, which is a, a really great small plates uh, wine and cocktail bar. Um, and what's so interesting about them is that there's they also come with pickled onions, um, a little bit of, oh gosh, what is the herb? There's an herb on top and also puffed rice. So they're just Oof. a really interesting twist on deviled eggs which are also kind of like a uh, a fixture of parisian bistros and this is just sort of a refreshing take on them Fab. okay the next one is also really really tricky for paris uh, but your favorite thing to drink well i'm gonna go with a category and you'll let me know if that's appropriate <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say go coffee and i say that because that has historically not always been something that's been good here. Um, mm. But obviously, we have a whole specialty third wave, whatever you want to call it, craft coffee um, scene that is reached, you know, peak maturity. And we have so much good coffee in the city. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna remain vague, I'm gonna say actually coffee as a drink. Yes. Um, and 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 just know that in almost every arrondissement, you can find a good coffee spot today do you have a recommend for your favorite like in yours your sort of local neighborhood do you have a favorite coffee shop yeah i would say that uh, among the best it's not in my neighborhood but it's called motors um, and that's in the first arrondissement and it's very close to the river um it's close to the pinot collection which is a, a private art museum um and it is really exceptional. They've competed, the owners have competed in, you know, coffee competitions. Um, it's definitely not very French looking, mm-hmm. um, but the owners are very much French um, and are very much obsessed with really exquisite coffee. And then in terms of one that might be a little bit more French in terms of a vibe, I would say the Dancing Goat, which is actually owned by an Englishman okay. who's been in France a long time. Okay. And that's in the 20th. And the space is just absolutely gorgeous. You just want to sit there and read all day. It's quite big. Um, and they do excellent coffee as well. Great. That's worth breaking the format for. Totally. I knew James <laughs> would pick me up for that, but I couldn't resist asking. And I will be Googling that oh, place no, no. afterwards because it has the best coffee shop name ever, The Dancing Goat. I love it. Lindsay, it's, your, it's lovely. <laughs> your, um, your favorite day activity. If it's not walking around the city, which is just, you know, a pure delight, it would be reading in the in the Palais Royale Gardens, which is one of my favorite spots in the entire city. Perfect. Wow. Lovely. Perfect. And then finally, you are acing this round, by the way, uh, your favorite, <laughs> God, this is going to be so tricky with Paris, uh, museum or gallery? I really like the Carnavalet Museum. It's the history of Paris museum, essentially. So it's where you'll find... I mean, it is bursting with 
paintings, sculptures, artifacts, but even old signage. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's it's also a free museum. So um, right in the heart of the Marais, I think it's a really beautiful museum. It was renovated. Um, so I want to say it's only been a couple of years that it's been reopened. They have a beautiful courtyard. Um, and they do also host temporary exhibits. Um, so it's, it's always worth seeing what's on there. Um, and it's a beautiful spot. Great. Well, I think you passed that with flying colours. Thank you, <laughs> Lindsay. Thank Absolutely. you so much. <laughs> We're going to move on to sort of Paris, sort of zoom out slightly, Paris more generally. It's obviously such a well-known city, but sort of beyond the obvious, what are some highlights that listeners really shouldn't miss when they're visiting? I think there's the temptation to sort of check a bunch of boxes and especially culturally to go to all the big museums, the Louvre mm-hmm. or the Musée d'Orsay, but I know as a traveler who feels very overwhelmed by that prospect, even in other cities, that a city like Paris is a perfect place to sort of scale back. So if you're kind of um, overwhelmed by all the art to see, you can head towards smaller museums or house museums. So these were, you know, artists' former homes that were transformed usually just before their death or or just after into museums and sort of recreated almost um, just as they were left by the artist. So one that comes to mind is the Gustave Moreau Museum. And it really is small collection, really iconic paintings. Um, and then that the, the space itself is worth seeing on its own. So I think this is a city that's that excels at ha- at all at all at all these smaller institutions and if you're into galleries you know there's there's plenty of that too a lot of international contemporary art galleries have opened um sort of offshoots in paris so it's an interesting time depending on what kind of art you like but i would i think the the, the broad answer is to say you don't have to go big and and blockbuster yeah. um mm. and and i think that that's something some people miss because they assume you have to do you know, do already that word like do Paris in a certain way. And I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think you have to really ask yourself what kind of experience you know you like best in other cities and, and replicate that in Paris. We mentioned a little bit about sort of like cycling lanes and stuff mm. before. Is is Paris quite an easy um, city to kind of walk around, to cycle around, to kind of not necessarily always have a plan and kind of like just just start to explore absolutely i mean this is where we get the term uh flaneur or flaneuse if we're going to make it properly uh inclusive as it should be um but you know this idea of it being the perfect city for an actual wander so wandering really Mm. with no uh, pressure of of a time constraint, no destination in mind, and really just with the idea of exploring and seeing what kinds of like slices of life you observe in doing so. Mm. Biking obviously has become super easy. It doesn't mean it isn't without potential risk because we have a surge of, you know, new cyclists who are on the road and some of them don't follow rules and so I would say if you are going to cycle in Paris um, just be mindful go you know go maybe a bit slower you you know you might be an experienced cyclist in your own city but you know this is a different city we have certain you're supposed to respect you know um, normal road rules you know so car traffic you know you're supposed to know all these things but there is no real education campaign that's been done so you get a lot of people who are like I know how to ride a bike it's fine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so just, you know, keep your wits about you, I would say. Yeah. Um, but but this is definitely the ideal city to, to walk in, to stroll. Lovely. 
That's brilliant. As someone who's been living in Paris for like almost 20 years now, you must also have a few best kept secrets, I'm guessing, that you might be willing to share with our listeners. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. This one is not even like a true secret, but I just think that visitors don't take the time to come see it. And it's the Bouchemont Park. Okay. It's in the 19th and it is absolutely one of my favorite parks um there are a lot of people who run there there's there are families there's plenty of spots to picnic i've had a number of birthday picnics there um and it actually has you know levels so i mean you could be on a flat area and then walk up to more of a peak and get also another view of the city um and so there's really a lot to see and do in there and there's a really fantastic energy i mean if you're looking for something that's like where do the locals go they go there Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so I would say don't overlook, if you're someone who likes parks, don't overlook the Bouchemont. Great tip. Great suggestion. Any other secrets, Lindsay? The one that comes up a lot is a street that has very colorful facades. It's close to the Gare de Lyon train station and it's Rue Crémieux. But what I would say is actually the secret is the residents don't want people walking on it and taking photos anymore. <laughs> So if you've seen that on other lists, and I know it still gets published even in 2023 as a a sort of a secret gem, the secret actually is you shouldn't go and, you know, take selfies on this street because it really has become, you know, another one of those like over-touristed zones. So, I mean, if you want to go and like walk through, you know, discreetly, sure. But, you know, the idea of travelers who would take full on you know yes take their selfie sticks and do photo shoots yes. yeah no more listeners that's it pay heed please don't don't yes. be that person yeah and i think it's important to mention because you know this is the kind of thing that um you know yes it is special but it's there are people who actually live there yeah. and i think we need to remember that i'm sure in like Notting hill totally. that has happened yeah it- oh yeah yeah the, the outside of borough market with yes. um yeah there's certain spaces where you just can't move through because people are taking selfies exactly it's tricky so yeah that's a really really good tip While we're talking about things to do, Lindsay, obviously, other than being a journalist and author and podcaster, you conduct food, coffee, wine shop tours. So without giving the whole game away, could you give us a flavour of what we might do on one of your tours? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what I do is it really is sort of an opportunity to spring off from my books so you know certainly the 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 base was the new paris because it's a way in specific neighborhoods to really give bring it to life and have people taste things and not just you know and to see some of these spaces in connection with more classic spaces and how these uh, newer spots or innovative spots have helped shape a neighborhood or also bring in new energy and what it means for a neighborhood so that could mean having a full-on coffee tasting with um, an idea of why coffee has historically been so terrible in Paris or and actually all of France but you know really speaking I, I had no uh, idea about this by the way oh yeah I just thought the French would be amazing at coffee everywhere no I mean if you were to if you were to show up at your you know you're staying at a hotel and there's like a normal corner cafe chances are it's going to be made from beans by purchased by a wholesaler it's not you know they're not specialized it's not Mm. the person making the coffee is not an expert at coffee there isn't the idea that it's a fresh product it's not treated as a fresh product so there is a story to tell there and also sort of how we think of cafes but cafes both a space and the word for coffee and so there's really a distinction to be made between coffee as the drink and the cafe as a a third space 
Yes. So we kind of go into that on the tour and then try all sorts of different sweets and sort of why they're important to the changing patisserie evolution in the city. We talk about natural wine. We can also talk about craft beer because all of these items, so to speak, have a story. Yeah. They have a story, but they also have sort of a different story than they might in another city, you know? Mm. And obviously, in the case of natural wine, France was one of the pioneering countries in natural wine back in the 60s. And so there are very key places also within Paris that it started to develop before it became sort of, for lack of a better word, trendy or part of a a bigger movement. Um, So being able to identify sort of the birthplace and then how it has evolved, I think for people who have been to Paris before, makes for a certain, you know, type of experience that they might not get otherwise. Mm. And it's really also about sort of my view. We also go into places that aren't about food, you know, along the way, you know, shops that are part of the story. But I've been surprised that there have been even first timers who were happy to have this lens on the city because maybe they wouldn't have chosen to come to this particular neighborhood on their own. And so it's a way to just see something else in addition to sort of the highlights. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I mean, you often think of like Paris as like, I don't know, you think of tradition, you think of grandeur, you think of like the whole history of the city as one of Europe's great cities. You don't necessarily think about the last like 30 to 50 years and like kind of what's changed and what's gone on and how how it's at the forefront of like you know, changing Europe's tastes and stuff. No, absolutely. And I think that was also really one of the motivators of my first book was to say we keep presenting Paris as this sort of postcard destination that doesn't change and that does it a disservice because it actually is changing, perhaps at a different pace than other cities. And so there's always that desire to compare it to faster moving cities like London or New York or Tokyo or whatever. Um but also Paris was always sort of an innovator and 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 to really look back in its history and to show how this stage we're in now is is not unprecedented it's just that there was some some moments in the middle where maybe they were you know whether it was in food or architecture or arts it was sort of you know resting on its laurels but it's not a city that really is immobile and I think it gets that reputation Mm -hmm. And the media often doesn't help that portrayal. Um, film also plays a role in in upholding mm. some of these old ideas. This kind of romantic old yeah. notion of Paris. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. but the thing is, is that still exists, and you can find that, and you can find it with the new as well. And so that's actually what I find so fascinating and compelling about this city is that you have all of that old. You can access that, and then you know, an hour later, go see something that's completely fresh and new and realize that it's based on and honors an old tradition. And I think that's what Paris has really, I think, tried to do very well. And maybe there are other European cities um, that that have excelled at this. But all I can say is that that often gets lost in the story of Paris. Uh, I think because the easy clickbaity thing is just to, you know, go back to what's tried and true. And I don't think that is necessarily what makes it such an interesting place today. That's a really good way of just, as you say, looking at different cities, but looking beyond the obvious in Paris. Exactly. I think here we're all about kind of like, yeah, enabling travelers to kind of like have the best time in not always the expected ways as well. So Because you can do both. You can do the expected, but you can also do the unexpected. And if you combine the two, you'll probably have an even more enriching experience. Absolutely. And I think that is a wonderful moment to just end that section on because it was brilliant it's so good and i really want to go on one of your tours it sounds come on down <laughs> oh yeah 
If you're keen to explore another side of the City of Light, Paris Like a Local is a book for you. You'll discover the small businesses and community strongholds add character to this vibrant city recommended by true locals. Find Paris Like a Local in all good bookshops or via the link in our episode bio. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Lindsay, we have to touch on the Olympics next year. What's the mood like in Paris? Are people excited? Oh, yes. I mean, the, the you know, it's... We've gone through a whole spectrum of emotions. I think, <laughs> I think it, it's been sort of like, oh, oh, that's actually happening sooner than we realized. Okay. Um, there's been frustration because in the beginning of this year when they opened the drawing for tickets, um, mm. so, you know, you would enter to be able to get like sort of... Kind of ballot kind of thing. Yeah, like a lottery almost to, to get, you know, an opportunity to bid or to purchase sort of the earliest tickets. We realized that the pricing you know, what a shock, is not as accessible as they made it sound it was going to be. Um, you have to buy groups of tickets. So I think there was a, a bit of frustration. There was some backlash, I think, to the pricing model. But now we are, I mean, we're almost to the fall, which means this very week, actually, um, which just ended yesterday, was the test trials in the Seine for the triathletes, both for the Olympics and oh, the cool. Paralympics. And what's huge about that is, as I'm sure maybe some listeners have read, they are really working to make the Seine clean enough for the athletes to swim in. And then thereafter, for there to be zones that even the public will be able to swim in. I mean, it's been, I think, I want to say 100 years since people have been able to swim in the Seine because of poor water quality and pollution. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing is they're building this sort of reservoir uh, basin that will collect the rainwater because it seems like that's really the problem. You get this rainwater that then spills over into the Seine and then the water quality declines. But if they can sort of hold that separately and then purify it or or filter it or whatever the mechanism is, then it should yeah. be okay for next year. They're still working on that sort of reservoir situation, but it was clean enough for at least up until Saturday for the athletes to do the swimming 
portion of the triathlon in. Um, apparently, that was not true for the Paralympic test trials. They had to cancel the swimming stage um, for water quality reasons. So there's a lot of attention on what's happening um, in terms of just the center of the city. And that's not even where the mm. games will be mostly taking place. But the opening ceremony for the first time in Olympic history will take place outside of a stadium. So there's the event is going to be in the center of the city along the Seine. That is oh, a wow. huge security issue. So we're all also yeah. sort of like, um, <laughs> how is this going to work? Um, but we do have sort of a test run, uh, so to speak. In September of this year is the World Rugby Championship. And I think yes, yeah. that, you know, they're hoping to use that as like a rehearsal a much, yeah. on a much smaller scale, but certainly some sort of like a dress rehearsal. Um and so we'll see what that leads to. But the Sen is definitely a focus, and you'll have different swimming events, but the opening ceremony specifically. Um, and I think there's really a lot cool. of, I don't know, I think that is what the energy is focused on right now. And then we'll see sort of as the year progresses. But we also did learn that the booksellers, you know, the bouquinistes, which are the iconic booksellers along the riverbanks with the green mm. uh boxes that the police have uh i think asked many of them to move during at least the opening ceremony if not the entire games for security reasons and i think that's you know there's some complicated feelings around that as well i mean these these Mm. the bookseller as a as a presence um in that spot has been in paris for like 400 years and so you know if you're coming to the Olympic Games and you're coming to Paris, you sort of want the full picture of yeah. this city. So, mm. you know, I think it's a wave of emotions about this, uh, the arrival of the Olympics, which I'm sure London felt. I remember watching yeah. the London Olympics on a big screen in, the, in, in front of City Hall in Paris. So I, I know that it's a complicated endeavor. But as of right now, I think at least there's some hopefulness given the success of these or partial success of the swimming trials in the river, that maybe they will pull this off. But I think the idea of how many people will come to the city next summer is a bit daunting. Yeah. So as a local, I'm like, wow, how is this going to work? <laughs> it's, it's very eerily similar to London 2012. I kind of remember being like, oh, wait, wow, this is round. <laughs> Sooner than I expected. Yes. <laughs> I didn't, um, and, and how is this going to work? I think lots of people were quite sceptical about how it would work as well and the infrastructure. But then get, got swept along with it and just yeah. found themselves, you know, I'm, I'm totally addicted. And I sort of, I wonder whether the same is going to be the case for most of Paris. Oh, I believe so. I mean, I think, you know, because it takes so long and there are so many preparations, there's too much time for your mind to start, you know, going into those sceptical directions. But, you know, they are putting a lot of thought into this and hopefully um you know there's there's so many buildings that are being reused as well nice i was going to ask about this is it is there kind of like a legacy thing as well where they're kind of repurposing older sites and, and changing up bits of different bits of the city absolutely the the stade de france which you might know is sort of like our leading mm. stadium um is going to be used the paris des princes which is where the psg football team plays yep. is being used in addition to plenty of other uh, i guess ar- arenas or or zones but what's interesting also and i don't know if this was the case when you when london hosted there are a lot of events and disciplines that will take place across france and you'll have you know football in lille nantes marseille lyon you'll have sailing in marseille cool. you'll have yeah. surfing in tahiti it's yes yeah. it, it, it's gonna be really interesting and i think you know maybe that's also a way to sort of 
boost the country and not just Paris. Yeah. But certainly there's a lot of novelty involved in, in, in what's coming. And I think Paris wants to be the first to do a lot of these things. So maybe they will be successful. And then we will remember <laughs> this this experience as being, you know, a more positive one. But we'll see. You know, I, I know there are going to be some disruptions next year. You know, the, the Tour de France mm-hmm. uh, will not for the first time in its history, finish at the um, along the Champs-Élysées. Oh, it will really? have to be moved um, because of the timeline of preparing for, you know, preparing the city for the Olympics. Uh, same thing with, I think, the July 14th Bastille Day events will also take place in a different location. So, you know, it does disrupt certain annual fixtures of mm. the, of the sure. you know, programming. But it's for a good reason. Yeah. yeah. Totally. You have actually mentioned this. We've mentioned Rugby Tour de France, for instance. Are there any other, and Bastille Day, are there any other events to mark on Paris's calendar sort of the end of this year or next year? Or is it really all about the sport? It really, I, I have to say, I think it really is focused on the sports. As we said, rugby coming in September, which is, yeah, you yeah. know, a big draw for a lot of people. You also have all of the, the usual fashion calendar, which, you know, yes. always seems to conflict with other cultural events and I'm not yet sure how some of those events will change because you know fashion week seems to happen every two days and so you know (laughs) that will conflict potentially with you know some of the start of the Olympic activities so concerts festivals you know there are all these uh, music festivals also that take place throughout the spring and summer and and Mm. I think there's some question as to when they will be moved to how they will be moved Um, so really the focus as you can tell as a result is really sports and hosting this because I don't think they could really focus their attention on too many other things to be honest I mean this is like so gargantuan that one heavy lifting project at a time (laughs) That's pretty understandable. Completely fair, Paul. yes. <laughs> I think like we've touched on some of this this next question a little bit beforehand in terms of some of the your tours and, and kind of the impact of how people can see Paris differently. But um, this season, we're exploring how listeners can support local communities while traveling. And Paris is one of the most visited cities on earth. But what sort of things can travelers think about to ensure that they're supporting locals when visiting? I think already, if you're staying in a neighborhood that is not sort of known as a a tourist quarter um, and by that I mean where there's just like just hotels and you know designer stores then you're probably going to be in an area where there's a lot of independent stores um, maybe even some locally made products whether that's in food or fashion or accessories and I think trying to choose those neighborhoods and then support the businesses that are in those areas is already going to be more helpful than if you just sort of dip into one neighborhood where there are these independent shops and then go back to your sort of, yeah, you know, more homogenized part of town. I think really basing yourself in an area like that can do a lot of good. And it can yeah. al- open you up to all sorts of other businesses. And you start talking to the shop owners who are going to say, oh, you should go see my friend who does this over here. I think it opens you up to a lot of interesting connections and encounters and then supports local business. Then the other thing I would say is in Paris does suffer from you know moments of over tourism we have huge Mm. events coming with the exception of the olympics i I mean because i know that's a a very special and exceptional moment i would say also think about coming in off moments i know we say this about venice we say this about even rome and barcelona you know 
if you can have the flexibility to come outside of sort of the big vacation chunks that 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 seem to bring in the most people like the summer months of July and August or like mm-hmm. I don't know uh, spring break um, you know try to do so because not only will you have a better experience but it does allow the city to better manage I think the flow of people and the experience that they can offer yeah. I think that's very important with next year in mind as well when who knows what's going to happen truly in like if you do not care about the Olympics do not come in the summer <laughs> like already get that in your head right now like that's not going to be the prime moment to come and luckily there are going to be a lot of infrastructural changes that you'll benefit from if you come before or after. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, that has to be in the mind of a traveler. Or at least I would hope that they know that this is sort of like, this is going to be all consuming. And if you really do not, you know, if you can change your dates and you really do not care about sports, this is not the time to come to Paris. So I think it's important to, you know, really, really tailor your experience um, and your and your travel, I guess, itinerary around the notion of this is going to be a big year for Paris. See how you can adjust if you do intend to come. I think that's a really, really, really great point to end on. Great piece of advice for listeners. Thank you so much, Lindsay. There's so much more we could talk about with you that we can't just fit into one podcast. <laughs> you have to come back. With pleasure, anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. But listeners can also check out your podcast as well and subscribe to the new Paris podcast on iTunes and Spotify for way more about all things Paris. But it's been so wonderful to have you on the podcast, Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. A bientôt. So a huge, huge thank you to Lindsay again. As I just mentioned, you can subscribe to the new Paris podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Highly recommend it. She's a brilliant travel voice repping all things Paris. And it was just a real honor to have her on the pod, right, Lucy? It really was. And genuinely the best start to this season. So thank Absolutely. you so much, Lindsay. Yeah, for, for sure. And um, you can follow Lindsay's work as well at lindsaytremuta.com. And i Loved going back to Paris. I mean, I think I said in the last time we did Paris, I was really keen to go and desperate to go. I still haven't been in three years, obviously. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> uh, so, and given what we said at the top of this episode, probably not going anytime soon. No. But Lindsay has really brought all the feels with it. And I'm so excited to go back at some point. So thank you so much, Lindsay. As we said, we've got a whole new season of exciting new destinations for you. So in the next fortnight, we'll be heading to Japan with Todd Fong. Yeah. Yes, and I am leaving you in the very capable hands, James, of my pal and fellow senior editor, Zoe Rutland. She will be filling in my shoes. Yes, absolutely. And she's been working on the new edition of Be More Japan. So With Todd, so it makes sense. I'm sure Zoe will do a brilliant, brilliant job in your absence, Lucy. But then Lucy will be back for loads of episodes in the for the rest oh, of the well. season. Don't worry, listener. You're not it's getting fine. rid of me yet. Exactly. Yeah, abso- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so we shall see you then in a fortnight. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And we shall see you very soon. Where to Go is a podcast from DK Witness. It was produced by Julia Baker, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson with the help of Bella Tolbert. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And please like and follow the show. And if you have time, leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Thank you.